Happy Palm Sunday to all of you. Uh, this morning it's good to be here worshiping with all of you. Um, the message this morning, I think it's titled Unorthodox. What's it titled? Uh, Holy Unorthodox. What's it, what's, it's titled something. Anyways, whatever it's titled, kind of fits. But see, I hand in the message notes on Thursday and by Saturday, uh, when I first get the message, a lot can happen. And so, I don't know if we can change it at this late date or not, but unofficially, maybe even officially, I like to title this, Proudly Dislabeled. Proudly Dislabeled. Probably, and you'll see what, what's significant about that in, in, in a moment. Um, and, and, and really, like, last week I gave this message, some, I hope some of you were here, if you weren't here, you might want to check this out, but um, even as I was giving it, this last part of the message, I, I knew that, I, that I, I would have to come back to it. And it was when I said that to love a person in their individuality, you've got to get rid of all labels. And there's this, even as I was sharing it last week, this like, yeah, I don't know, there's a feeling of anointing on it or pay attention to this. And it's lingered all this week and some events have happened this week that I'll share a little bit later on that have confirmed that I'm supposed to go over that again. Um, and here's the thing. I, I have read recently, neurologically, the... the the brain, our brains are stubborn. It takes seven, hearing something seven times before we really hear it. And, and seven times. That's why commercials, and their commercials are devised by the, the, the people who know the most about how the brain works. They're specializing on how to get you to want their product. And, and, and they, they show the same commercial all movie long. It just bugs me. That's why I love TiVo. And I hate when I have to watch a show and put up those, like this is a new problem of evil. Why I have to watch these commercials? But the same one. Would you think like, you you'd want to vary it some, like a, a different angle on your product or something, but it's the exact same thing, but that's intentional. Uh, they don't care if you like it or dislike it or if it bugs you, but the, the, very, uh, the very familiarity of the thing makes it more accepting to you. The more you hear something, uh, it, it, the more your brain says, okay, the very, it's, it's familiar to it, and our brain likes what's familiar. So repetition is the key to learning, which means I've got to get a little less paranoid on, on being paranoid about repeating myself too much. I've got to be less paranoid about repeating myself too much. I need to be re- less paranoid about repeating myself too much. Are you hearing what I'm saying? <laughs> so so the, the, this is a Palm Sunday message, but it turns out that it, it's, it's going to be a message that is going to be recovering a lot of some of what I said last week and building on it. The, the passage I want to read, and the reason this is so important, is this whole thing about labels, about getting past judgments, to in, in love individuals and all of their individuality, is at the center of the center of the center of what we are all about. Uh, and yet, this is so rarely taught. In fact, Christians are usually trained to do the opposite of this. There's a lot of Christians I've met, talked to, who feel guilty if they love people for free. It's true. Your job is to point out their sin and to notice their sin and whatever. And, and, and if you just love people, well, gosh, you know, people think that you're one of them, one of the sinners. <laughs> kind of like they thought of Jesus when he was hanging out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors. If people start making that accusation against you, you're going in the right direction. Okay, well, uh, listen up on this. Here's the passage, Matthew 21. Uh, Jesus had just sent the disciples into the town to get a, a donkey, a certain donkey and a colt, uh, so he could ride this into town. And then it says this. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. Uh, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Now Jesus is here riding into Jerusalem. And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. 
Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Highest praise here. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil asking, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Pray with me here. Uh, Abba, Father, I just pray that you open up our minds and our hearts to receive this word deeply. Uh, infuse this, impregnate these words with your authority to root out lies, to liberate your people, to free us from the accuser, free us to love the way you've called us to love, free us to dance in light of your love and spread it with others. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Okay, so this is during the Passover, which is one of the most important uh, festivals on the Jewish calendar. Uh, you, you're celebrating the, the exodus, the, the Israelites' deliverance out of Egypt, which involves the vanquishing of the Egyptians. And all that's being celebrated. It's, when you think Passover, when you hear Passover, think deliverance. Think victory. There's a military dimension to this. And at this time, Folks were looking for a Messiah like never before. The more Rome oppressed Israel, the more they longed for the long-awaited Messiah, the hope for Messiah, someone who would deliver them. It was in the air. People were, were just sensing it. In fact, we know from Josephus and other historians of the time that there were other folks that, that, that claimed to be the Messiah or that people thought were the Messiah. It was just in the air. People are expecting this. So this kind of walkway down to Jerusalem, this ride down to Jerusalem is no ordinary ride. There's a lot of expectation in the air. Now, Jesus had done some miracles, not some, he did a lot of miracles, and that impressed a lot of people, and they're thinking, man, maybe he could be the Messiah. He's got the supernatural power, and he delivers people from demonic oppression. And he just had this kind of authority to him. The Gospels note this, that he spoke, that people would always say that Jesus taught with his unnatural, the unprecedented authority. And it's not just that he spoke with confidence or used eloquent words. He, he, there was a presence to him. There's an authority. People just sensed a divine anointing on him or something like that. This, this power on him. And so they're thinking he could be the Messiah. This could be the one who's going to deliver us. Just like God did the Israelites when they were trapped in Egypt. This could be the one. This could be it. Now he's got some quirky things to him that would... For some, disqualify him to be the Messiah. I mean, he, he talks about loving your enemies, for example, and that's not what a Messiah is supposed to do because the Messiah has come to crush our enemies. And he talks about nonviolence and never retaliating and whatever he means by that, you know, that's not what a Messiah is supposed to say. And, and, and he hangs out with the wrong people and he ticks off the, the, the wrong people. He's supposed to get along with the religious authorities, but instead he's battling them. And he's supposed to stay away from and crack down on the sinners, but those are the people he hangs out with. The prostitutes and the tax collectors. So he's, he's a quirky Messiah, and maybe for some people that was a deal breaker. But man, he's got the miracles and that authority. And it, if he just turned a little of that miracle working power against the Romans, that would do it. We Jews could never hope to rise up against the Romans on our own power. They'd crush us in a nanosecond. But we got our super action hero figure here. This guy's got miracle working power. He, he, he's spending his healing people and doing all that stuff. But maybe at the end, when it comes time, when he rides into Jerusalem, he'll turn those guns on Caesar and Pilate and zap away. And now we'd be restored, liberated. That's what the Messiah is supposed to do. He's got some quirks. But a lot of people are hailing him as, 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 as the one. And that's why they say Hosanna. Now, Hosanna is an Aramaic word. Uh, it originally meant, uh, Lord, save us. It was a call for salvation. Deliver us. More specifically, deliver us from our enemies. But at the time of Jesus, 
language is always evolving. And the word had taken on the connotation of praising God for deliverance. It's like you're praising God ahead of time. You're so confident that this, this person is going to deliver us that you praise them ahead of time. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. We're trusting in you. You're going to deliver us. This is the one, they're saying. And that's why they call him son of David. Uh, Harkens back to the time when David was king, and, and that was looked to as the golden age of Israel. That's when they won their most battles and had their most wealth and had the largest geographical area. So to, to have a, a Messiah who's like David, a son of David, a descendant of David, but one who also is like David, a military Messiah, a political Messiah, a victorious Messiah, that's what people want, to restore us to the glory days. And that's for the glory of God, because it's an insult to God if we Jews who know the true God are being ruled by pagans. Well, that, that's not glorifying God. So they call him Son of David. We tr are trusting in you. And the you that they're trusting in is this, this, this Davidic Messiah, a military Messiah, a enemy butt-kicking Messiah. And then they, they, they put the palm branches down in, in front of them. The palm branches in the Greco-Roman world uh, were a symbol of victory. It, when, when an athlete would win a race or whatever, they would give him a palm branch. Instead of a nice trophy, they got palm branches. <laughs> Look, Mom, I, I won a branch today. So that's what they did. But it, it stood for victory. So when they're putting this stuff on the road, they're really saying, we are ascribing victory to you. You are going to be victorious. Hosanna, son of David, you will be victorious. And then when they put their coats down... For the donkeys to ride on. It's the way they're saying, we're in service to you. We're submitted to you. We're bowing down before you. We know you're going to get the victory, so we're on your side, and we're, we're, we'll follow you into battle. Because all the Jews knew that they would have, you know, humans have some role to play here. And the Messiah will help deliver them, but there'll be some fighting that you have to do. And so they're pledging their allegiance to this military Messiah. He's riding into battle. And people are hoping this will be the Messiah that's going to liberate us and defeat our enemies. Now, one week later, much of that same crowd has a very different attitude towards Jesus. Now, just enter, there's this expectation in the air. This could be it. He works the miracles. He has some quirky stuff. But we think he's the one. We're committed to you. Hosanna, son of David, lay your coat down. Follow him into battle. One week later, Jesus gets arrested. And Pilate as I guess was a tradition at the time, but said, I, I, I will release, out of my graciousness, I will release one of these prisoners. Which ones do you want me to release? Barabbas, this common criminal, or Jesus, the so-called king of the Jews. And the crowd chooses Barabbas. And Pilate says this, Mark 15, then what do you wish me to do with this man you call king of the Jews? And they shouted back, crucify him. Pilate asked them, why? What evil have they, has he done? And they just shouted the more, crucify him, crucify him. So, Hosanna in the highest, son of David, we believe in you, victory to you, crucify him, crucify him. What happened? One week. I know crowds can be fickle, but this is kind of a lot. What evil did he do? What, was, what, 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 what changed the attitude? And the answer is, he got arrested. And besides, not, not supposed to get arrested. This is all about victory, not defeat. You're supposed to march into Jerusalem and defeat the Romans, not get arrested by the Romans. You're supposed to be victorious, not a loser. You're supposed to beat up your enemies, not get arrested by your enemies. You're supposed to rule from a mighty throne, not hang from a cross. What kind of Messiah is this? And yeah, he's got miracle working power, but apparently he's too stupid to not use it in the right way. What good is miracle worker power if you're going to use it on a couple low-life people who are blind or crippled or whatever? Who cares about them? Use that power where it can be, really make a difference for us, Israel, for the people of God against the, against the ungodly Gentiles who are ruling over us. Yeah, you're solving little problems for little people down here, but you want to make a big change difference, turn those guns on Caesar. Fire away. 
And what good is your power if you're not going to do that? And their, their expectation, their desire to have a Messiah who's on their side and against the other side, well, that, just, that, 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 that turns to disappointment when they see that it's not going to happen, which turns to rage. And they're like, just crucify the bum. So high, we could go, and now they're so low. What happened? Jesus got arrested. They feel duped. We don't want some wimpy Messiah who's telling us to love our enemies and turn the other cheek and go the extra mile and all that stuff. We want a Messiah who will win, who will be victorious, who will stand up for truth and righteousness and justice against all those ungodly people. And really, that's all people have ever wanted from a Messiah and ever wanted from a God. Uh, that's why we invent the gods. This is the history of religion. We want gods who are on our side. Religion has always been a quid pro quo deal. It's, 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 and by the way, the kingdom is not a religion. Okay? It's a relationship. But religion has always been a, a deal we have with the gods. The gods have more power than us, and so, so we want to use some of that power. So we, we, the agreement is we'll worship you, and we'll do your bidding, and we'll sacrifice for you if you will fight for us and protect us and advance our interests. We want a God who's for us and against them. That's the role the gods have always played. Americans have this weird idea that fighting for God and country is some kind of a unique American slogan, but actually it's the oldest, oldest pagan slogan in the book. Almost everybody's fought for God and country, some God or other, in some country or other, if only because it's hard to motivate people to be willing to kill and die unless they have some kind of eternal interest in it, so you appeal to the gods. So the, the Jews here are just saying, we want a God that's going to act like everyone else's God, except we want him to be more powerful. And this goes to the heart of paganism. Uh, in Psalms 50, it says this. The Lord says that well, you did all these evil things, and, I, and when I didn't say anything, you assumed that I was just like you. This is the heart of paganism right here. Uh, unless God pops down from the sky and like a super giant wizard of Oz head and says, I disagree with what you're doing, unless that happens, we tend to assume God's okay with it. Uh, we tend to assume that God's just like us. We make God after our own image. And we want a God who's not only after our own image, but, but, but who, who is doing our bidding. We assume God's just like us. And so, you know, we, we show the last couple weeks, and you can show this neurologically and from evolution, and, but the bottom line is our fallen nature is we love to be right. We just love to be right. And the only thing we like more than being right is knowing that, or at least believing that, God is on our side. God agrees with our rightness. Oh, it tastes so good. God, oh, God agrees with our side. And so if, it, it's obvious to people, has been throughout history, this isn't a uniquely American thing. It's obvious that God's on our side, that God agrees with us. Our, our beliefs are God's beliefs. Our truths are God's truths, and our country is God's favorite country, and our, our religion is God's favorite religion. And so it's us against you. And we want a Messiah who will help us do that. Religion, see, religion just takes all the us and them polarities of the fallen world and, and, and intensifies them. It's like you're playing $5 poker and then religion comes along and now you're playing $5,000 poker because you introduce God in the situation. So, so you know, the world, as I said last week, David Fitch in his book, The Us and Them Church, a brilliant book, a really good book, uh, he just shows how the whole world is structured on these us and them polarities. Because we fallen human beings love our rightness, so we want to hang out with people who agree with our rightness, so we amplify and magnify and exalt our rightness. Unfortunately, it disagrees with those people over there who are doing the same thing, but their rightness is not, doesn't agree with our rightness, so our celebration of our rightness has got to be a condemnation of their wrongness. And now the, wheel, the merry-go-round goes. The whole world's structured like this. And, and, and then what religion does is it, 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 it introduces God into the whole thing. You inject steroids in this. Because now it's not only us versus them. You know, we are the this, and the this is always superior to the that, and you are the that. 
Okay, that's the whole structure of the fallen world. But now it's not just that. We introduce God into it, and now it's we and God are this, and you and the devil are that. And when people start to think that way, dangerous things are right around the corner. We have all of history to show that. So it, it, introducing God into the, this is the Palm Sunday thinking. It, it's the, 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 the God that you reduce down to your own preferences, your own beliefs, you personalize it, and now you use him to do battle. You weaponize God. But that's the Messiah they expected, the, the, the Palm Sunday Messiah. The Messiah they actually got on Good Friday and then on Easter was altogether different. Because this is not a Messiah who is at all like us. Uh, this is a Messiah who's, whose character is altogether beautiful, and ours is not. He's not like us. This is the, the one God who's not made in our image. I mean, this is one of the ways you know it is true. When Paul says that the cross is the power of God, he's saying something that's so revelatory, because no human being on the planet in all of history has ever thought that thought. Because we assume that God is like us, we always tend to project onto God the kind of power that we want. And we want the kind of power that kills enemies. We want the kind of power that protects us. The kind of power that can further our interests. Real power, Thor power, all Schwarzenegger power, muscle power, coercion power. That's all that, the gods have always been that. Jesus shows up, and he shows what real power looks like. And what it looks like is him getting crucified on a cross. Amen. Giving his life. And the power of God is his willingness to give his life for enemies. Hallelujah. Well, that God is a God who's altogether different from their own self-made gods and uses a completely different kind of power. And what they got was a God who, not, Jesus reveals a God who is, has nothing to do with the us versus them polarities of this world, but rather a God who does everything that could possibly be done to change everything for everyone. Hallelujah. Does it for everybody. It's all-inclusive God. All the parochial gods, the, 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 the fighting gods, the us versus them gods. Uh, the, the, they all create communities, closed communities, closed gate communities, where who's inside and who's outside is all important. Gated communities, that's what, and so many churches are gated communities. Who are you going to let in, who you're not going to let in? Who's got the deal breaker sins, who doesn't have the deal breaker sins? All this judgment. And that's what you'll get if you get an us versus them God, if you get a Palm Sunday God. But when Jesus shows up, he blows apart all those us them categories. He blows apart all of those labels. He blows apart all of those hierarchies, all of those judgments. He blows it all apart. There's a passage that I've been coming to. I've, I, I've dealt with it at least four times in the last, in the, in the last year because it's just gripped me. It's, every time I read it, it's, it's got more depth and insight into it. It's just, and so rare. And yet, it's so beautiful. And so I keep coming back to it, and I'm going to stop worrying about that now because I've only come back to it four times. Once I get to eight, I'll start worrying about it because at seven, you're going to start getting it. But here's the thing. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 17. I just love it. Paul says that the love of Christ urges us. He's explaining why he does what he does. Why does he put up, he left his cushy life to become a missionary. Why? The love of Christ compels us. This is always the motivation in the kingdom, folks. We should be moved not by fear or guilt uh, or shame or ought to do's. The motivation at the core of our heart has got to be the love of God, the love that God for us and the love that we have for God. And that's why I always say the, be your, the beauty of your picture of God is the most important factor of your existence. Uh, I, do you have a picture of God that compels you to live in a different kind of a way? That's the fuel of the kingdom. So Paul says the love of Christ compels us. Because we are convinced, and this is the most beautiful aspect of, of, of Christ that Paul's going to mention here, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. Knowing that truth is what compelled Paul. In some sense, everybody died. In some sense, everybody died when Jesus died 2,000 years ago. And he died for all, Paul says. Here's why. Here's why. 
so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. So Paul is saying, if one died for all, here's why I do what I do. If one died for all, then in some sense, all have died. And he tells us a little bit later on what that some sense is. He says, everything old has passed away. Behold, everything's new. And the old is everything that would separate a person from God. Everything the enemy ever had on us. Every fault, every broken area, every, everything that could come between you and God and between you and your true self and between you and other people. It was abolished 2,000 years ago on Calvary. Colossians 2, Paul says he nailed it all to the cross. It was all nailed to the cross. So God's not holding anyone's sins against them. Paul says that explicitly in 2 Corinthians 5. And that's the good news that we have to spread to the world. We get to tell people what's already true. God's not holding your sin against you. Everything is new. Uh, it's, it's, uh, this is what Paul says. I mean, the, the, like the cross redefines everything. In Romans 5, he says that as one man's condemnation led to death to all, that's talking about Adam, so also one man's righteous act, talking about Jesus and the cross, leads to justification and life for all. Now, some people would interpret that to mean that everybody is going to eventually get saved. And I've talked about that before. I, I, I don't think it means that because you're free to reject reality. We do it all the time. In fact, it's the very definition of sin. Every time you sin, you have to make up a story that's not true. If you were seeing reality as it really is, you wouldn't be able to. So sin is creating an alternate reality to the reality that God defines. God defines all of reality like this. This is God's definition of reality. All of you are in. The cross applies to all. Everything has changed for everyone. Everything that's old has been abolished on the cross. It's been destroyed. It's been obliterated as far as the east is from the west. It's been done. It's not being held against you. God's not, not, got nothing against you now. He's not mad at you. Okay, it's, it's, it's done. And everything now is new, Paul says. Uh, this is the definition of reality. The default is that you're on the inside. Just don't put yourself on the outside. Right, be reconciled to God. He forgives you, but will you accept your acceptance? Will you embrace this beautiful truth? You still are free. But from God's perspective, it's a, it's a God's got a bear hug around everybody and is claiming everybody as, as, as his own. He's claiming everybody as his own. And then Paul says this. Here's, here's the difference it needs to make. He says, therefore, in light of this, because of what has happened on, on Calvary, therefore, we no longer look at anyone from a human point of view. Can you put that passage up there, Dan? From now on, we don't regard anyone from a human point of view. Anyone! A human point of view is simply the natural point of view. What you see is what you get. We judge on the basis of sense appearances. It always involves an evaluation and a judgment and assessment and a comparison and all that other kind of stuff. A labeling, it always involves that. But Paul says we no longer look at people from a normal point of view. No, we look at people from the perspective of what God did for them on the cross. So he says, even though we once regarded Christ from a human point of view, we saw him just as one more crucified criminal. We don't look at him that way any longer. We look at him with the eyes of faith, knowing that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now we're going to look at everybody that way. So if anyone is in Christ, look, there's a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes the way you opened Elisha's eyes to see, or the servant's eyes to see the, 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 the warriors all around. So when Elijah was saying, there's more on our side than there are on their side. Open your eyes. Lord, open our eyes right now to see the beauty of what you see. Because Paul is saying, is, if you're a believer, then you're in Christ. And if you're in Christ, don't look at anybody from a normal point of view the way you used to. Don't look at anybody through the filters of your culture, don't, through the lens of all the labels. Don't, no, rather, see what God sees. See the truth of who they are because of what Jesus did on the cross. 
And so our job, kingdom people, is to, when we look at somebody, whatever we see, whatever we see, however old it may be, however wrong it may be, however much you may disagree with it, however much it may revolt to you, your job as a kingdom person, if you're a follower of Jesus, your job is to look through that, look past that. It's of no consequence. It was taken care of 2,000 years ago. The only thing that matters is the new creation that stands in front of you. They maybe don't know it and they don't think that way so they don't act that way, they don't feel that way. Maybe they act the opposite of that. But you know it and that's all that matters. The question is, what do you see? What do you see? Can you see the beauty? I agree with God that this person has unsurpassable worth because Jesus paid an unsurpassable price for them. Can you see the preciousness of the human being made in the image of God? Whatever else they may see, whatever else may be there, it's just a result of the fact that they don't know it yet. And we don't know it yet either, do we? Because we, we don't act like, like consistently in Christ. So we're not going to go judging the world for that. Our job is to look past that. See what God sees. And then what you see is beauty. What you see, what happens if we can... See, the trouble is we're not only conditioned to think like this in the culture, all these judgments, the gossip machine in our brain. But many of us have been raised in the church and we're taught to do it on steroids. Which is why we feel guilty if we don't do it. Well, people think I'm condoning their sin if I don't point it out to them. You know, it's my job to be the moral police of the universe. Police your own sin. Police your own sin. We're going to do a campaign, campaign against your own sin, right? Leave other people alone. Paul says, what, ju- what business do we have judging those outside the church? We've got no business. He said, 1 Corinthians 4, he says it explicitly. We've got no business judging those outside the church. Inside, we're going to walk out this thing to together in Christ. We all need people who speak into our life. And we invite to speak into our life. But everybody else, you disagree with God that that person was with Jesus dying for. They're, treat them like an insider because God has made them an insider. See, the kingdom, it doesn't buy into the us them polarities. It is an us without a them. It's like we're all facing the cross. Can you give me that diagram up there, Dan? Yeah, so the us versus them, we have gated communities and we're against each other because we love to be right. But in the kingdom of God, we don't get our life from being right. We get our life from what God thinks about us as defined on the cross. So we're just moving to the cross. And what God has done is all we're in Adam, so all are in Christ. There is, there's no parameter here. There are no outsiders. There are people who don't know they're insiders. But, but, and that's where we come in. We get to tell them the truth. But it's a kingdom that's an us without a them. How we need to learn how to lose the labels, to see the people, to love the people. Whatever label you have on a person, they share that characteristic, whatever it is you're highlighting. Whatever you're highlighting is arbitrary, by the way, because there's a trillion other things you can highlight. But you're going to focus on this because you've been conditioned to maybe. The politics has conditioned you to think, well, this is what's really important about this person. There are this. But see, whatever that this is, they share that with at least a hundred or a thousand or a million or a billion other people. So that's not their individuality. That's not, who, that's not who they are. And you can have a hundred different labels for them, and none of them get, they share it with everybody else. It doesn't get to their individuality. Do you see this? If you're going to, you can only love individuals, uh, this particular person and this particular person, and you're only loving them if you're loving them in their, indiv- in their individuality, which you can never get to by labels. Labels can only block the flow of love into their life. Every label is also an internalized narrative that has all sorts of meaning and that Rates some high, rates some low. That whole comparison game, evaluation, critiquing, all of that is of the devil. He's the accuser. He's the judger. Our job is to stay free from all of that and see what God sees and affirm what God affirms. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, I, for the last part of this message, I want to do something here. Uh, uh, I want to talk about the tap. Because I'm going to tell you, the tap, it's a ministry that we partner with here at Willow Hills Church. 
And it is, God's using it to impact me in some pretty profound ways. And uh, it is honestly the most beautiful expression of this label-less, judgment-free kingdom climate that I'm talking about. Whenever I go to the tap, it feels like breathing fresh air in a world that's polluted with judgments. You enter into a space that is just so free and so joyful and so loving. Uh, it, it, it illustrates the kingdom. And so I wanted to end this message by asking a good friend of mine. I've known this guy for about six, seven months now. I love this guy. Uh, Daniel Cashman, will you get up here? All right. Give him a good Ward Woodland Hills word. Welcome. Woo! Yeah, you got a crowd here. He's got some supporters here. Okay, before I turn us over to Dan for a little bit, let me just say this, that uh, see what's beautiful about the tap, Jesus said this. He said, when you throw parties, don't just invite the people that you know and that are close to you, your friends and relatives. At least sometimes invite people who never get invited to parties. That's an explicit teaching, Luke 14. When does the church do that? It's like one command we just feel free to totally ignore. But this is exactly what the tap does. Uh, who ever gets invited to parties? Who are the most quarantined people in the entire population? It's people who have these disability labels. And, and, and you guys just throw parties, and this is beautiful. Now, I, one of the reasons I wanted to have him up here is because I, I want to illustrate this, is, is how to look at the world in light of a new creation. Because here's the deal. Uh, my brother here uh, is not a believer. I'm not a believer. You're not a believer. Uh, yet. Uh, Go ahead. And, and, and he knows that I, I one of the things I'm bringing this I'm ready for it. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to persuade him. I, Label you, me. He doesn't know it yet. But see, this guy's all kingdom. I mean, he's, he's kingdom inside. You think kingdom, you act kingdom. You, your intuition's all kingdom. Amen. And I'll tell you something. I, I, I'll take a hundred folks who do the kingdom but don't know it over a hundred who think they're doing it but aren't doing it. <laughs> You're living it up, man. And so, I... I I keep telling Dan, you know, you're in the kingdom, you just don't know it. As beautiful, he's doing all this kingdom work, but he doesn't even know it. It's like, it's great. But he will someday, I'm confident. We'll see where this goes. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, here's the thing. So you're an unbeliever, and, and so you'd wear the pagan label, right? Hello, Mr. Pagan. And I'm Christian. Hello, Mr. Christian Pastor. Hello, Mr. Christian Pastor. <laughs> and all labels come with evaluations. So for a Christian audience, probably that setup would think, you, you might think, okay, Greg's supposed to bring the truth to my poor brother here. I'm going to help him. I will help save him. You need rescuing. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and all of that. I will do the speaking, you will do the listening, because I have the truth and you do not. And that kind of evangelism just sucks, all right? It's, it's got, that's, that's, that's Palm Sunday evangelism. That top down, it's arrogant. It's, it's, it's just about relationship. Yeah, I've got something to offer, I think. But he's got a lot to offer. And you know what? I'll tell you, in this relationship that we've had, honestly, and I so appreciate this, over the last six, seven months, you have blessed me. I don't know what I've been to you, but you've been a blessing to me and have taught me stuff about faith and about, about love and even about getting in touch with my own judgments. And so you've been used by God to set me free, man, brother, and I appreciate that. And my son. I, it's a, so tell us about the tap. What do you want to say about the tap? Well, the TAP stands for Tapping All Possibilities. I've been in uh, human services, uh, working to support our friends with intellectual and emotional disability labels. And uh, in that time, the one thing I've noticed is that they have a very hard time being included with the rest of us. It's an us-them thing. Totally. And it's so difficult for them at times that they just shut down. 
isolate and segregate themselves from the rest of us. And we have to change that. And so what we're doing about it is we're asking everyone to come to parties right here at Woodland Hills, right over here in the C room. We throw a huge dance party, a lot of fun. Oh, uh, it's we, the funnest party on the planet. It's, it's awesome. And we try to operate as culture operates. We got all the great dance uh, music. We got a DJ who does a great job of just keeping us dancing and having fun. We have video gaming. We have people playing cards. Whatever you like, whatever your interests are, come and party with us. Uh, uh, once a month we do that event. And then over here on Monday nights, every single Monday night, we meet as a group just to hang out. We play foosball, we do karaoke, uh, our friends love yeah. expression, we sing, and we just have, it's just a joy-filled, uh, yeah, right on Sam, right Sam, on all right. Sam. Oh, Sam. All right. I got my they're, tap friends They're gonna be here, seeing right? you here in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, so we invite you to come and join us because that's where uh, we show them that hey, the labels are out and all the judgments out and then that's when love just comes in, and that's what's left, is love, and that's what we're about. Amen. <laughs> this is why, when I first heard about this tap and heard that your philosophy, this proudly dislabeling, I was so interested in it, because it embodies what I have believed for the longest time to be just the core of what the kingdom is about. Like, you wouldn't put in these, this kind of terminology, but, but you're going after the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is the original sin of the Bible, which is the, 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 the sin of judgment, because every judgment blocks love. And, and every label is a narrative of judgment, and it blocks love, and, and it sucks life out of people, sucks the dignity out of people. But when you can remove those things, there's a freedom that happens, and, and a joy. The party's so fun, because everything that would inhibit you is done away with. It, 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 the thing that makes us fear things is those labels. It's, it's those judgments. It's why, like, during karaoke, you know, a lot of the folks that are there, if they were to sing that in a nightclub or something, it would be embarrassing, because... Everyone's got, they're, they're comparing, evaluating, critiquing, you know, and so they're embarrassed for them. Over here, you can do anything, really, there's no, you see the individual, not the judgment, the comparison, or how good it compared to whatever, it's just the individual. So one of the first people I saw when I came on Monday, I'll tell you that story a little bit later, but I came here this last Monday, and I walk in, and there's a guy who's singing a karaoke to Sweet Caroline, um, but he's completely nonverbal. He, he doesn't use words. And so he's, he, and I, I think he's... And that was his first time at a tap event, by the that way. That was his first time. Yeah, it was his first time. And, 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 and he's rather atonal. But he's up there enjoying himself immensely, and so everyone else is enjoying it w with him. At one point, I got caught up into it, and I started singing to it, and... Of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> and so I ended up joining, and it was his... So right now, don't compare it to anything. Just look at this individual. What was his name? Uh, Adam. 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 And, and just enter the joy and see the beauty of this. Touching you. Touching me. And I guarantee if you come to a tap of it, that guy gets the best applause lines of the night. I'm not kidding. No, it, 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 kidding. it, it is beautiful. It, it, it's just the freedom that's there. I have yet to go to one of these events where I don't at some point get choked up. Uh, just the, the beauty of the whole thing. Um, so uh, my son, I, I've shared this before, my son has high-functioning autism. Um, and and it, the unique, one of the unique things about, my, about Nathan, and I've asked for his permission to talk about him, and he's given it. 
Um, but he's, while he tests out on the, the spectrum fairly high in some areas, he's socially aware, which is a rare combination. So he's always been aware of how he's different. And that's always pained him. Um, and, he, and his whole life, his whole goal has been to not appear that way, to try to be normal. And so he's never wanted to hang out with people who've got any kind of visible disability. He wanted to distance himself from that. And so getting him to come into the tap was, was, was really hard. I got him to come one time, and he, yeah, not really comfortable. And, and I could see such potential here. If he could ever internalize this, he'd get free. Um, and, and, and in January, it looked like he was making some progress. And see, this is a, a, a young man who, for the last 10 years or so, has gone, he, he's not making progress. He, he, he's got such high anxiety, he hardly ever goes out of the house. He can't hold the job. Uh, he, he's just bound by anxiety. Um, and, and, uh, and so I, it looked like there was some progress going on. I was beginning to have a little bit of hope that he might actually become part of this, but then he backed out of it. And I hit a low uh, in January. And then uh, my brother here, you came along and injected me with a lot of faith. I don't know if you remember what you said, but um, you, you said you, you've got a, what was it, crawl? Slow crawl. Slow, slow crawl, not a run. So you got to look at the long game. And then you told me a story that just encouraged me so much uh, about Paul. So uh, a gentleman by the name of Paul, my good friend Paul, I wish he was here this morning actually, um, he uh, suffered from anxiety, depression, agoraphobia. He wouldn't even leave his apartment, sometimes not even his own closet. And we're not talking about a big walk-in closet. We're talking about one of those hallway closets in the old apartments where it's like two feet wide. And he's a big gentleman, and he tucked himself in there with a TV and, and just held up camp in, in a closet because of the fear and the anxiety that he felt. And then he turned to alcoholism. He drank. He used drugs. He tried everything to try to squell that isolation and that loneliness. and that, uh, it, it, was, it was killing him. It, it truly was. He was drinking a liter of alcohol a day. So uh, when we found him, we said, hey, c come to the tap. You got to do it. And I kept asking. I kept asking. Slow crawl. And finally, he came. And he was there for 10 minutes. And then he had to go. Got a little panicked and just left. Came back again, though. Stayed a little longer. Stayed a little longer. Then he started expressing himself. He got up. He talked in front of the, uh, the group. He also shared his poetry. He started singing karaoke. And now he is giving back. He started his own club called Better Together, where he gets friends, right on. You guys know Better Together. Where he gets his friends who are also uh, in recovery and trying to struggle with recovery to, to, uh, to come and just, just be together. It's not a formal program or anything. It's just friends getting together and supporting each other. But I gotta tell you the, the most fantastic story about this is the tap really did, and he would tell you this, save his life. Because when he uh, started coming to the tap, he was still drinking and he was still you know, suffering from this anxiety. And at one point he said, Dan, I got to check into rehab. And I took him. But he didn't check into rehab. He checked into emergency instead. He was in renal failure and he nearly died. Mm -hmm. I got a little choked up there. <laughs> Sorry. It's all right. Just wait a second. Good. Um, anyway, the tap, he would tell you, saved his life. And it's simple. It's just drop the labels, drop the judgment. Loneliness can kill people. Absolutely. So no, let's change that. And, and labels kill in other ways. I mean, the labels, when, when, when you wear them, you, you internalize whatever message they have, and they suck the dignity out of people. I mean, there's some people who can't get motivated to do anything because they're told that you are this. 
It gets slotted in that category. Where I shared last week that uh, there's a, a gay couple that I counseled in the 90s. And, and uh, um, if, if a Christian would have just led going into this thing, I know what God thinks about every relationship there is. And this is what God thinks about your relationship. You would have just killed one of those young ladies. Because the only thing keeping her alive was this relationship. And so the labeling kills. All, all that. Whereas, I mean, that's why it, it's all part of the thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Think about it. What if every gossip column in your brain, oh, she's a, look at that, I can't believe it. What if that you're, you're participating in the enemy's you know, polluting empire here? You know, it, it, he's the accuser, right? He's the one who's always got the judgments. And all that got nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. It's all old. Uh, we, we just need to lose it in order that we can love. Amen. The environment there, it, it's the environment that heals. It, it's, now, I believe there's more going on there, or something different going on than what Dan believes. I, I think this is, Jesus is all over this. Um, and I see Jesus doing all sorts of stuff, but the fact that I name it that doesn't change the fact that we're doing the same thing. And and uh, and because it's it's label free, it's about the idea that we're loving on people, and we both agree on that. Uh, uh, that's it, and that's the bottom line, right? And to do that, you got to let go of judgments. So this last this last week, I was uh, on Monday night. I was just heading out to go to uh, my son-in-law's house to watch the national basketball championship. Uh, because that's what guys are supposed to do on national championships, I guess. I, I do that not because I like basketball, because I like, but because I want to be a man, right? That's, that's my label. <laughs> All right. What did you think of that game the other day? If, if that's what you think is going to work for you, Greg. I'm just, I'm whatever, whatever it takes. I, I support Arr. that. I'm a real I guy. Support it. By the way, Dan is making a tremendous sacrifice to be here this morning because the Masters, he loves golf, I'm told, and the Masters, uh, the final of the Shout round of the... Yeah, hi, Tim. Masters is... Uh, uh, today, but the rain, they had to move it up, so you had to give up watching the Masters to be here with us. Can you believe it? Oh, and if you were any kind of guy, you could put it up on the big screen, couldn't you? <laughs> give people a choice. You can watch the Masters or watch me. Uh, <laughs> I, watched, uh, I watch golf once a year or so when I'm really having trouble sleeping, because it puts me out like that. Yeah, it's just like... Just Don't so try to explain it to them as you did <laughs> earlier yeah, today. So. Yeah, the double birdie, bogey, four under, whatever that means. So... Uh, uh, the, the dance, uh, when's the next Friday dance party? Well, the next Friday dance party, I believe, is the 26th. Okay, Friday the 26th. Thank you for helping me out. And uh, you can find all of our events at yourtap.org. Y-O-U-R-T-A-P dot org. And all our events are under an events button, and you can just roll right through. And we're always here on Monday nights, so come check us and out. And they do plenty. Of, that was a Monday night, so we do dancing. It, it, there's no rules around this thing at all. Uh, so it's the environment that heals. It's just so free. And so... I'm just about to walk out the door, and Nathan calls me and says, Dad, let's go to the tap tonight. I go, really? <laughs> Why? <laughs> and he goes, I'm bored. And, it's, it's, and I think the Holy Spirit was nudging him because he's, he's bored a lot, but he never suggests going to the tap. So we go here, and, and it was just different. It was uh, immediately, like, he, he went to the video room. But before, when he'd go to the video room, he'd just get on a video game and play by himself. But here he was talking with some folks. He seemed like he was enjoying it, so I just left him alone. And I went in the game room, and, and there's a guy there who, who uh, he's an expert on poker. He, Justin. Yeah, he competes professionally in, in, in poker, even though, he, I mean, he's almost legally blind. Um, but but um, he's, he's just great. So he's teaching us poker. I sit down there, and, and uh, there's about eight or nine people there. You were there. And then Nathan comes in the room, and you offered your seat to Nathan. Say, so want to come play poker. And I thought, no way in heaven will he do that. <laughs> I, I, I asked him, I, 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 might, I might be afraid, afraid I'm going to slip. 
I'm going to slip a little, no, no, little testament into this. We'll have grace here. We, we'll have grace, yeah. He, he, oh, I, look, I he is a true pagan. I, 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 I forgive you, Christian pastor. <laughs> He's a real pagan. Uh, but so he, Nathan hates card games because he always feels intimidated by them. All the rules, you know, it's hard to learn a card game. But he looks around the table at who else is on the table. And if dad can participate and these other folks, well, then maybe he can too. So he sits down and he has a time of his life. It's, it was just a blast. And he goes over and plays foosball with you and some others for an hour or so. I just, it, it, I could see the environment was, was shedding the labels off of him. It was, a, it was like loving the labels away and then loving the fear away. And the intimidation, it was just, just that environment is healing. And then I was just getting ready to leave and somebody comes and says, Greg, you got to come back in here. You are not going to believe this. And I walk back in the room and Nathan is karaokeing with Sam. Yes, Sam. And they're singing Bohemian Rhapsody. Galileo, Galileo. The easiest song in the world to sing. Easy. Easy. Oh, man. No, it was just unbelievable. A guy who's had this much anxiety, you guys, fearing going out of the house, won't ride on buses, doesn't want to be around people, and oh, he's up there singing in front of people. And it was just, and so I got a little video clip of it. I was crying behind the screen the whole time, but it was just beautiful. So I'm going to show a little clip of uh, this freedom moment in my son's life. We don't do that professionally. We don't. No, man. Thanks for singing with him. Uh, it, it, the, the freedom. The freedom. When you get rid of that, it, it's like coming into pure oxygen out of a world that's so full of pollution. But see, that shouldn't just be... I mean, that, that's a, a unique, beautiful thing. That, that You need special occasions like this where you do what Jesus said to do. Invite the uninvited to come and party together. Um, and Jesus so often describes heaven as a party, doesn't he? The kingdom of God's a party, uh, celebrating a lost coin and all that. Uh, and so we need that, but it also should be our lifestyle. And this should be an environment that is like that, where, it's, that's where we can put all the expectations, labels, and stuff out the door and just be the people that we are and love people as they are. And folks, this is the kingdom. This is the bullseye. Uh, this is Christianity 101 and Christianity PhD. We're called to love and to love. You've got to get rid of the labels and the judgments. And every time, if, if, if you can wake up to how your chatterbox machine is yapping about people, start to wake up to that. And, and if you let that serve as a post-it note to remind you what your job is. It's not to be the judge of the world and good taste on what people wear and opinions about how they parent and everything else. Your job is to agree with God that every person you see was worth Jesus dying for, which means they have unsurpassable worth. And that's what it is to love them. You just bless them. You just love them. Look past everything else. And uh, that, that very act of loving and blessing people, that, is, that, will, that will transform the world. That, that's what's going to win in the end. That's, the cross is the power of God because the cross is this kind of love. This is the power of God. That, nothing else can change my son the way that love can. Nothing can change you the way God's love can. Or me or you or any of us. It's the love that transforms us. It's the love that compels us. It's the love that is everything. And our job is just to replicate it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Oh, would you stand?
Bro, I love this brother. Dude, give him a, give him a warm Woodland Hills. Thanks again. And thank you, Woodland Hills, for having us here. Really, it means a lot to our friends. It means a lot to me. Thank you. All right, and feel free to join us Monday nights and then on the 26th on Friday. Uh, as we leave here, I just want to end with this prayer. Lord, free us, free us, free us. Free us from the judgments. Free us from the accuser. Free us from the gossip in our brain. Free us to set aside judgments and just to love the way you love, like the rain falls, like the sun shines nonstop without an off button. Help us to love like that as we leave this place to be your ambassadors, to be representatives to the world that so desperately needs it. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. I mean, God bless you guys. I like to ask the Hi, folks. I'm Greg Boyd, senior pastor here at Woodland Hills Church. I hope that uh, you all enjoyed the Palm Sunday message. Actually, I hope you enjoy all of our messages. This one seemed to, I don't know, God was all over. I, I just enjoyed giving it. If you've been with us for any length of time, if you've been tuning in for any length of time, you know that every time around this time of year, uh, we run an online campaign called Sustain. It's when we invite our podcast audience to help sustain the ministry of our church. The vast majority of our operating budget comes from our local congregation, but we also have folks like you all over the planet, uh, and we're able to offer our, our certain podcasts for free, in large part because of your generosity. We've been calling you guys podrishners for years now. It's a combination of podcast and, and, and parishioner, kind of clever, I think. Uh, but we really do consider it a great honor as so many of you choose to tune into our teachings. Uh, so the request is really pretty simple. We'd love for you to consider signing up on some kind of a regular donation schedule for our website at whchurch.org sustain. Uh, you'll become a sustainer with any contribution amount. Uh, and this year, our goal is to have 400 signups. Each year, we design a new Podrishner t-shirt, and we send them out to everyone who jumps on board. So if you decide to participate, you'll get one of the 2019 models. I haven't seen them yet, but they always really are pretty funky, so you'll want to get that. And for the next couple of weeks, I'll be giving you updates about how the campaign is going. In the meantime, thanks again so much for tuning in. Uh, it truly is a blessing to know that so many people out there are working with us to build this Jesus-looking kingdom. God bless you.